Hello, hello. Welcome to the 40 Guard Labs Threat Intelligence Podcast. My name is Jonas, and once again, after one episode break, my good friend Amar Lakani is back on the podcast. Amar, how have you been doing? Man, Jonas, I have to tell you, I missed you. I missed our episode that we took a break from, but I am glad to be back and glad to be talking about cybersecurity with you this week. It's it's good to have you back. And you know, since I've been moving to Singapore, it has already been a year and we're also reaching the end of the year. So I think today is a very good time to talk about the yearly recap and how could we do this better than talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly in cybersecurity. From your point of view, can you tell me what's your impression about the, the good things which happened in the last couple of months? Wow, you know, 2020 will be the year to remember in all things. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think I, I, I'm glad you framed it that way as the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to cybersecurity because I think we did have something good. And I will mention right now, we just finished up the U.S. elections out here, and everyone was worried we would have a major cyber attack. It's not like we didn't have zero attacks. There's been, you know, some warnings and, you know, uh, some rumors and things like that that have come out on the news. But for the most part, it seems like there was at least no major cyber attacks that happened, uh, and uh, at least not during the voting day. So I think that was a good thing. I think that was a win, uh, a win for cybersecurity. And heck, I'll, I'll even take it as a win for democracy. So uh, yay. <laughs> That's, uh, that's interesting to hear because my good topic is, is similar timing with the election. It, it's not targeting the election, but during a little bit in front of the elections, we had this communication, this partnership between security vendors, software vendors, telecommunications and financial firms, which together attempted to bring down TrickBot, one of the most popular botnets these days. And before jumping in into the the whole procedure, how they uh, try to achieve that. I think it's important to point out how powerful TrickPoint, TrickBot is these days because they have such a big infrastructure. They are spread all over hosting providers. And these partnerships uh, between these companies decided to bring down, bring down these botnets. And TrickBot is so powerful because not only is it a botnet for rent, so whoever is interested in paying money and leveraging the service, it's also super sophisticated when it comes to their models. For example, they have different kinds of loaders. And once it's dropped on a certain victim, it will analyze what kind of software is installed. For example, if there is security software installed, it has a priority of getting rid of this software and disable it. If it sees Outlook, it installs a plugin to gather information about Outlook conversation and, and understand what kind of um, context is going on. And maybe if people are talking about the hiring process, they infect and these conversations with additional CVs so they can leverage malware inside these conversations. They understand what kind of point of sale devices are connected to a network and a whole framework like Metasploit as we know it for exploitation as well. It understands is there LDAP or SMB configured and then just starts exploiting the whole network from left to right. 
So Jonas, I'm glad you brought that up because first of all, you know, TrickBot, let's let's take a step back and make sure everyone understands what TrickBot is. It's a botnet. A botnet comes from the word robot, right? Like just something you take control over. Normally, it's PCs all over the world, computer systems all over the world that have been compromised by attackers. And they're ready to be controlled by an attacker acting as a single uh, unit. You know, all these thousands of PCs that may have been attacked and they're ready to be taken or compromised. And now they're ready to be controlled by an attacker. So that's that's what a botnet is. And of course, it utilized older botnets. It utilized older botnet networks that that it, it uh, that it had it had taken over. We see that a lot with botnets. Like new botnets would take over older botnets. Someone's taken that over and updated that. And as you said, TrickBot itself was very modular, very very sophisticated because it used a number of vulnerabilities to become a botnet to compromise the system. But more importantly, what it did after that is it gave the attacker a a basically a whole environment where they could run any type of attack they wanted, whether they wanted to run a denial of service attack against a third party organization, whether they wanted to infect the systems with ransomware, whether they wanted to like scan the system for emails and certain phishing emails or whatever um, they wanted to do. In fact, one of the most popular ransomwares that we saw last year was Emotet. And Emotet was usually carried over with TrickBot. So I think the thing you, what you mentioned was super cool is that all these all these like computer companies, all these organizations, government organizations, uh, and and I will give a, give a big credit to Microsoft because they they were kind of leading the charge. They essentially found the brains of this botnet, the brains of this operation, and were able to take down the brains, the computer systems, and programs in the cloud that were controlling all these compromised systems. And so it was a big, big win, I think, for for uh, cybersecurity. It was a big win just for people in general because it was, it was something that was really affecting organizations all over the world. Definitely. I agree. Microsoft and all the involved collaboration partners did an amazing job. And I think one of the main enemies using these TrickBot uh, botnets is Ryuk, the malicious threat group, which is uh, pretty much uh, one of the most famous ones these days. And they even announced recently, they made roughly more than 100 million um, in revenue this year, but they're not done. They're looking for, uh, I think that they announced a number, which is uh, between one and two billion for the next couple of years. So they're very ambitious to strike back, make even more money. And this brings me a little bit to the to the bad part of, of my review, because in the beginning of the year, when we had a look about ransomware, it was mainly about encrypting data and asking for a ransom. And if companies were prepared and they had backups, which were not linked to the main system, which was breached, so they still had access to these backups, they were able to leverage these backups and put the infrastructure back in place as it has been before. But the attackers, once again, they're always a step ahead of the curve. So they planned for these kind of circumstances and they start gathering the data in advance, exfiltrating it before encrypting everything. And now they're not only blackmailing their victims with, you don't get your data back if you don't pay, you might get it back, though, but in a way that we just release it to the public and you will suffer a lot of reputation loss. So having these double-edged techniques now these days with not only encrypting but also exfiltrating first is, uh, is something a little bit concerning. And it just shows the development of 
uh, sophisticated processes similar as software evolves over time. I would say it was the year attackers got smart, right? They figured out how to really hurt you. Uh, you, you. And what I mean by that is they understood where your backups were at. They started actually investigating your your organization. So they just didn't attack you and drop ransomware. Uh, they, they, they're they like, nope, let's go ahead and actually do some research. Once we're in a system, let's figure out like what the backups are. Let's figure out what the crown jewels are. Let's attack those. And so by the time they actually got to the last step, of dropping ransomware and you wanted your data back and you said, well, it's okay, I got backups. They already had understood like what your processes were and encrypted your backups or made them unavailable at the same time. Um, so I said that was like super, super interesting from a bad point of view that attackers are getting smart. Um, what we also noticed is we also found out that attackers really started understanding what's important to an organization. And there was, and what I mean by that was there was a number of instances where like conversations between attackers and organizations that had been attacked were leaked. And in that case, what I mean by that is we actually saw the negotiations that happened. Uh, I think in one case, it was it got leaked on the internet that uh, an attack group was asking for ten million dollars for data back, and they started you know negotiating with the victim, saying, "Hey, you know what? This is actually a really good price for you. Uh, it's uh, you save your reputation. You could open yourself up to lawsuits if we leak this data." And uh, they actually settled on like four million dollars, if I remember correctly. And uh, it was a good win. It was a good win for the attackers. Um, the victim, I'm not sure if it was a good win for them, probably not, but they, uh, you know, it appeared like uh, from the conversations that they they pay that, they got their data back. And even the attacker started started giving them advice like, hey, this is what you need to do to secure yourself. But uh, um, it's, it's a little disingenuous, right? But at the same time, it just shows the attackers got smart and they're – basically hitting below the belt as we as we say in boxing or hitting really where it hurts now definitely and it's also very impressive how they organize their companies when i see these ransomware negotiations their customer support it's outstanding i wish i had such a customer support with, with some of the legal businesses i deal with but these guys they're next level they explain you they give you tutorials and they really make sure their victims are capable of paying the money and it's the, the old story they organize their business as normal businesses they're very much um, collaborative inside their company and it's not just a single person it are these big groups which start to make a lot of noise of course from your point of view amor what's your your main point which when, when you look back about the, the bad topics in cybersecurity besides the the one we just talked about yeah so i think where you're going with this is you asked me about the good you asked me about the bad and uh you know you know like uh, to quote a famous clint eastwood movie now you're asking me about the ugly and uh and i think uh we both had the same ideas on ugly and i'm just not talking about the haircuts that i had to give myself during quarantine right uh i think the ugly this time was uh Hey, I made you laugh. That's that's great. But, uh, uh, you know, I think the ugly for me was actually seeing like the real effects on cyber cyber attacks and the real seriousness of effects. And what I mean by that is just a few, you know, just a few months ago uh, or less than that uh, made the news uh, circuit uh, hospital in Dusseldorf, Germany, uh, announced that a patient had died after they got hit by a ransomware attack. Now, I want to make it clear that all the details weren't released. 
and and the ransomware itself, you know, you know, uh, was was a side product. What, what happened was the patient had to be had to be transferred, and uh, you know, during the transfer of the patient, from what we know, that's that's uh, you know when they passed away. So there could have been other things in play. You know, you know, we don't don't know what real effect the ransomware had, but but it still shows that it's affecting real people that aren't really engaged in cyber, that not not in the organization. Like it's basically having a lot of collateral damage, I would say. And that's that's to me is scary because me and you, Jonas, we work in the cyber world. We expect attacks. We expect to deal with threat actors. We expect to deal with ransomware, but uh, we certainly don't expect patients getting healthcare services to deal with that or we don't expect you know people going to other businesses deal with that on all sorts of level and to me that was um that was a little a little ugly for me I, I thought that's where we got ugly i definitely agree it's not only a little bit ugly it's definitely a horrible story and it also keeps you thinking where are we going these are just the the trends which we are seeing and most of the topics we talked today about are ransomware related and before ransomware we never really saw the malicious files inside someone's network if you weren't really looking for it because they tried to hide they tried to be stealthy but ransomware is a completely different story it basically tells you the second it encrypts your files hey i'm here um you're you're my victim now and it's just getting worse and worse people dying in, in hospitals because of these attacks so cyber attacks are are getting more and more sophisticated and more and more powerful the the the, the more the world moves towards software in general so it's definitely something which is uh which is taken to be very serious yeah, absolutely. I, I would definitely, you know, just to add on to that, because people always ask me, you know, what is the most prevalent type of attack you see? And, you know, it makes sense if you just think about it from a volume standpoint, it would be denial of service attacks, right? Because that that makes complete sense. You're just a denial of service attack. What that means is that an attacker is sending you garbage data. They don't expect a response back. So they can send you anything and they can send you a lot of data. And they usually do that with, you know, over a botnet, like we talked about like trick, trick bot, uh, and they'll send that through thousands of computers. So from a, just a data volume metric standpoint, denial of service attacks, usually the most type of prevalent attack that, that I normally see. Uh, and that's just because of based on volume. Um, but the most impact, I think why ransomware gets talked about more often than any other type of attack is because it has, you know, immediate impact and visible impact to everyone within that organization that's affected. And a lot of times, even people outside the organization, including um, customers, partners, uh, industry in general. So um, I think that's why we hear a lot about ransomware. And Unfortunately, I think what we've seen is attackers always push the limit, and uh, and I'm I'm worried uh, like uh, what how far are they going to push the limit? But the one good thing I can take back on this is I think this opens up the eyes at least to government agencies and entities on on uh, the type of crime ransomware can cause and the type of involvement they and investigations they need to do and hopefully even uh, engage in the experts. So um, maybe maybe we'll uh, be able to stay a step ahead. At least I pray we will. Yeah, and mentioning these um, government um, advisories, I think that's a good point to to wrap the podcast up to not leave on a bad note. I think it's it's good to see that more and more of these advisories get out there and inform about foreign um, attacks which are, are are going on um, on on a government level, so customers can protect themselves in a way and do not rely singly on on themselves. 
Greatpoint, Greatpoint, a lot of a lot of resources out there to get updated updates on attacks and how to protect yourself as well. All right. With that being said, Amar, it was once again a pleasure to talk to you, and I'm looking forward to the next episode in a couple of weeks. Excellent. Same here, buddy. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening in. We are out.